Happy 4th of July weekend, everybody. It's Sig Daddy here, bringing you another episode of Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show and another retro pay-per-view review. This week, it's the Great American Bash 1990 from WCW, taking place at Royal Farms Arena. Actually, it's called the Baltimore Arena at the time, now called the Royal Farms Arena in Baltimore, Maryland. 10,000 in attendance. JR is on play-by-play for that show. Also on color, it's Bob Cottle. It's crazy. I think I've done three different shows so far, three different reviews for pay-per-views from Royal Farms Arena. The first one being uh, AEW Revolution from back in November of last year. And then I did Extreme Rules 2017. And now I'm doing Great American Bash 1990. If you want to check those other episodes out, you can find them in the archives on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcast, or wherever else you find your podcast. This show had 11 matches on it, the main pay-per-view, 12 matches total. A lot of well-known names on this show. Gotta say that, a lot of well-known names. The main event of the show was Sting against Ric Flair. Well, Ric Flair defending his NWA World Heavyweight Championship against Sting. And this was Surfer Sting. And this show was an interesting one. This show, like I said, had a bunch of stars from the past and then some present stars at that point in time. A couple of notes before we get started. This is... The North American date, North American debut for Big Van Vader, and this was the first match back for Sting, who had an injured knee and was sidelined in February of 1990. This was July 7th, 1990, so almost 30 years ago. Wow, that's a long time ago. Man, I'm feeling old. <laughs> I'm not that old, but uh, uh, about five years younger than this pay-per-view. But let's start it out. The uh, main show started out with Flying Brian Pillman taking on Nature Boy Buddy Landell. They go 9 minutes and 29 seconds. The finish was Pillman going for an O'Connor roll. Landell reverses it. Landell ducks Pillman who goes over the top to the apron. Landell showboats. Pillman then jumps off and hits a crossbody and pins Landell at 9 minutes and 29 seconds. This match was interesting because there was not a whole lot of wrestling, really. Landell did the bulk of the wrestling moves, uh, like a rear chin lock or rear chin lock, and then Pillman was doing more striking and then high flying when he got the opportunity. It was mostly dominated by Landell during this match. I thought this was okay, and the young and up-and-comer got the win. I didn't think it was that great, really, but it wasn't terrible, and... uh Landell really, like I said, dominated the most of the uh, runtime of this match, and it was fine. It was fine for an opener, and I'm going to give it a C plus. Young up and comer gets the win, which makes sense here. Then we get Gordon Soley talking a little bit about the show, and then we get Captain Mike Rotunda, who's better known as IRS in the WWF slash WWE, against, oh, another former WWE guy, uh, WWF guy, the Iron Sheik. And 
This match doesn't go for very long, about six minutes, 46 seconds. Sheik does a lot of heel stuff, like going out to the ring and trying to get fans to calm down during this. I enjoyed it more. I enjoyed this match actually more than the opener. The finish goes like this. Uh, Sheik taunts the crowd. Rotunda's on the apron. Sheik suplexes him back in the ring for a two count. Sheik then goes for a double arm suplex. Rotunda reverses it into a backside backslide pin and that's it and it gets rotunda the win at six minutes and 46 seconds i enjoyed this match uh i liked it more than the opener and i really liked the heel stuff by Sheik, the traditional heel heelish stuff from iron Sheik. and i like this that this was more of a wrestling match we saw a lot more wrestling moves here during this match um we had a saw side gutrich suplex from iron Sheik, uh hip locks uh, Sheik hit a belly-to-back suplex. See, there was a lot more wrestling involved. I like wrestling and not just striking and, I don't know, a bunch of... I like high-flying stuff. I love high-flying stuff, but it was just a lot... The first match was just a ton of striking. But uh, I enjoyed this match more than the opener. I'm going to give this a B-. minus. Rotunda gets the win there after a backslide pin. Then we get Gordon Soley with Harley Race. And following that was the World's Strongest Man, Doug Furness versus Dirty Dutch Mantell. And I thought this was a fairly entertaining match, Mantell being the uh, heel. You remember Dutch Mantell, if you don't. Uh, he was, if you don't remember, he was a, a manager for uh, Jack Swagger and also Cesaro as the Real Americans. And he was the manager for Jack Swagger when he was contending for the World Heavyweight Championship back at WrestleMania 29. That was just to give you a reference point. You might not really have known Dutch Mantel as a wrestler, but he was, and he was in this match against Doug Furness, and I thought this was a fairly entertaining match from these two. Mantel being the heel, doing a lot of heelish stuff during it. Furness, he was showing off some really... Good athleticism. He had the combination of strength and athleticism. I can't believe this guy didn't become a star later on. It must have been something with the mic work or something that held this guy back because this guy had some star potential. He had some. He had a beautiful drop kick during this match, and also some hop overs of uh, hopped over Mantel a couple of times. And Mantel, oh my gosh, if you watch this match for one reason, Mantel has the probably hairiest back I ever I think I've ever seen on a wrestler and he just looked dirty and that's his that was his nickname at the time dirty dutch mantel the finish uh furnace he had a drop down followed by a leap after a shoulder block for mantel mantel then turned around into a snap belly to belly from furnace and that was it at the 11 minute and 18 second mark and i enjoyed this match and I, like I said previously, it, I can't believe this Furnace guy didn't become a star. I thought this was an entertaining match. I'm going to give it a B-. After that, we had Gordon Soley with James Cornette at the time. And after that, we get Harley Race versus Tommy Wildfire Rich. And these two have quite a bit of history. Rich upset Race in 1981 to win the World Championship. Race at this point was 
47 years old, so he was in his later stages, in the later stages of his career. And also, this match was hurt a little bit by the crowd not being into it. They didn't go too long during this match. They went six minutes and 32 seconds. And what I liked about this match was there was a lot of momentum switches. It was nobody held the momentum for very long during this match. And it was different from anything else on the card up until this point. And the finish was both men over the top on a failed scoop slam attempt by Rich. Back in the ring, Rich goes up top, hits a crossbody off the top, and Race rolls through and pins Tommy Rich at 6 minutes and 32 seconds. And I'm going to give this match a C plus. And it wasn't a bad match. I enjoyed it, especially the momentum switches. But it wasn't like anything great. And Grace, you could tell he was slowing down a bit during this as he was in the latter stages of his career. Harley Race was playing the heel as usual. And yes, he did win this match in 6 minutes and 32 seconds. Gordon Soley with Paulie Dangerously after that. And Paulie Dangerously, he's managing, oh, the one, the only, the mean, Mark Callis. And you know him better as The Undertaker. And he's talking about how Ric Flair is going to retain. And then he starts screaming and stuff. And then Mark rips a shirt to show him what he's going to do to Lex Luger late in the ni- later on in the night. And I wonder, did these two ever amount to anything? Mark Callis and Polly Dangerously? I don't think they did. They didn't look like they would. <laughs> Just kidding. Mark Callis, of course, goes on to be Undertaker, like I said and have over a 30-year career, have around a 30-year career in WWE, and Paul Heyman still working for WWE at this point, not as a producer, one of the, well, the executive producer of Raw, he is now back to just being Brock Lesnar's manager. After that, we get a tag team championship match, the first championship match of the night. It's for the NWA US. Tag Team Championship. It's the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane defending their championships against the Southern Boys, the Midnight Express, accompanied by Jim Cornette, the Southern Boys, Steve Armstrong, and Tracy Smothers. And there's some interesting stuff during this match, some high-flying stuff from the Southern Boys, some karate stuff, especially from Tracy Smothers and Stan Lane. That was an interesting battle they had at one time. And there was plenty of thrust kicks, which you could call them super kicks now, but Tracy Smothers hit multiple super kicks during this match. And this match was pretty fun to watch. And it was pretty entertaining and a pretty good, very, it's a very entertaining tag team match and a really good tag team match. And both of these, both uh, teams, both, uh, not both teams, but the crowd seemed to be into both teams. There was a really good contingency of Midnight Express fans there, even though Midnight Express was, they were playing the heels at this point, but crowd really liked this match and they got really hot for the finish especially because the southern boys went up for a version of the heart attack except it's a drop kick a drop a top rope drop kick and the ref then tried to get smothers out of the ring and lane kicked out of one kicked out of the pin at one and then armstrong of the southern boys goes to the opposite corner eaton and then knocks him off and sends him throat first onto the top rope and a scoop slam rocket launcher from Eaton. It was a 
Lane hits the scoop slam and then launches Eaton into the splash. Armstrong kicks out at two. Inside cradle from Smothers only gets a two count. Then Lane breaks it up. Kicked to the back of head of Smothers by Lane after he runs off the rope. And then Eaton, Eaton gets an inside cradle for the win at 18 minutes and 14 stuff. Good stuff. Good heel stuff from the Midnight Express. And good heel stuff from Jim Cornette throughout this match. And it was a very entertaining and a very good tag team match from these two teams. And uh, the Southern Boys, man, they showed they belonged in this tag team match against the Midnight Express. They didn't quite get it done, but they were able to really put up a fantastic fight against the Midnight Express. And I liked the finish of how the Southern Boys almost won with an inside cradle, but then the Midnight Express was able to win with an inside cradle. I'm going to give it a B plus. A lot of like pin finishes during this show. But B-plus grade for that tag team championship match. The Midnight Express retains at 18 minutes and 14 seconds. And after that, we get a fabulous Freebirds interview with Gordon Soley. And following that was the debut of North American debut of, of a Big Van Vader. He was taking on the, the Z-Man, Tom Zank. And Vader, he came out in headgear, shoulder pads, Kind of that cost, like a costume. And it, like I said, it was his North American debut. One thing you'll notice in this match, if you go back and watch this, you can check it out on the WWE Network, was that his mask was black instead of his uh, traditional red headgear. And one cool little thing was the steam came out of the headpiece. Uh, well, the headpiece and the shoulder piece of Vader's costume. And Vader just pretty much wrecks this dude in a little over two minutes some short arm clotheslines, showing off some athleticism though there uh, that he had, and Vader hits a short arm clothesline. Vader grabbed him by the ears and threw and brought him back into the ring. Actually, after he knocked him out, Zenk gets one bit of offense during this match, and it's a drop kick after he runs off the ropes. But then Vader press slams him, and then Vader hits a big running elbow, another suplex. Well, one suplex. Whip off the ropes, a clothesline, and then off the ropes, and a big jumping splash from Vader. He got some height on that thing, and that's it. At 2 minutes and 16 seconds, this did what it needed to. Z-Man pretty much got no offense, and this showed off Vader's quickness and dominance, athleticism, and power, all of that. And it made Vader look like an absolute beast. I'm going to give it a B+. Very good debut from Big Van Vader on the uh, uh, in that match. And then we get Gordon Soley with the Four Horsemen. And next was the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott Steiner versus the fabulous Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes. The Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott Steiner. Scott, as you know, would go on to be a pretty big star. And uh, especially the later stages of WCW. And he'd also worked for TNA. And he also recently worked for the NWA. And the Steiners here, Scott looked like Scott's a, Scott was a freak, man. He was a freak. And well, that became his name, or, well, Freakzilla. And he looked like Freakzilla during this match. And both Steiner brothers did really good during this match. And good heel stuff from Jimmy Garvin. And Michael Hayes, them trying to run away during this match. And 
the power and stuff, power and athleticism from the Steiner brothers was quite impressive during this. Late in the match, Scott hits a power slam. Military presses Hayes into Garvin, and then he hit, they, they both hit uh, Steiner lines, which were closed lines. And Scott hits a Frankensteiner on Hayes. Garvin then hits the DDT on Scott when Garvin wasn't legal. Then Rick hits a belly-to-belly while the ref takes care of Garvin, puts Scott on top, and that's it. This was a fun tag team match. And I really want to watch more of the Steiners and need to watch more of the Steiners because, really, they were an under... I think they don't get enough credit. They're a very underrated tag team and probably one of the more underrated tag teams in history. I just have not watched... A lot of their stuff, but this was fun to watch, and it showed that Scott could go high-flying and also could use the power. He could really do it all. And the Freebirds, they were just fantastic heels. I'm going to give this match a B. Check this one out, the Steiner Brothers, uh, for some kind of just old-school tag team wrestling. Check out the other one, too. There's The first two tag matches on this show were pretty darn good. The first one being a little better with the Midnight Express and the Southern Boys. Definitely check that one out. Also check this one out just to see the early stages of Scott Steiner. Then we get the Dudes with Attitudes. El Gigante, Junkyard Dog, and Paul Orndorff versus the Four Horsemen, which was really only the three. It was Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Sid Vicious. And this looked like to be an early state, like an early Sid Vicious because this match didn't, it featured more so Junkyard Dog and Paul Orndorff and Arnd Anderson and Barry Windham. Those those four people were pretty much the focus of this match because I don't think they wanted to overexpose Sid Vicious or El Gigante, who was better known as Giant Gonzalez when he was in the WWF. And the little offense that Gigante got during this match, it was very ugly. It was very ugly, and it was just a random DQ that ended this match. And... I don't know. It wasn't very good. I'm going to give it a C-. minus. It went 8 minutes and 53 seconds. And I and I said this before. Gigante did not look good on what offense he did deliver. It was pretty bad. And this was easily the worst thing on the show so far. Junkyard Dog and Orndorff, they were doing perfectly fine. Along with Anderson and Wyndham. And Sid Vicious did good for what he had to do during this match. Just not a good match overall. And the finish really was dumb. I didn't even know. I didn't even really understand why there was a DQ finish. I guess the other team was in the mat in the ring while in the ring illegally. And I guess that forced the DQ. I don't know. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but it's going to get a C minus. Following that was Gordon Soley interviewing Lex Luger. And then following that was the Lex Luger Mark Callis match for the NWA US Championship. Lex Luger coming in as the reigning champion. And Luger, both Luger and Mark Callis focuses, focused on the arm during this match. Both a little nice psychological thing from both. And it was this is just to go check out. This is one to check out because this is the pre-WWE Mark Callis well, better known as Undertaker, and watching this match, you have no idea this guy is going to become one of the biggest stars this industry has ever seen. I just don't get that from this match. But man, if you have the right character, you dedicate your life to it, 
who knows? Because this guy did become one of the biggest stars in wrestling history and one of the, probably the most famous character in professional wrestling history. But this match, I thought this was a solid match and... And it's weird, Undertaker's finish at the time was a heart punch. And he goes for that later on in the match. But before that, Luger gets a... torture rack. And he knocks down the ref with Mark's leg. Then Paul E. dangerously hits Luger with the phone. And then he tries to wake up the referee. Luger kicks out at two. Mark hits an ugly short clothesline and goes for the heart punch. Luger then gets his boot up, knocks Paul off the apron, clotheslines Mark and covers. And that's it. At 12 minutes and 10 seconds, Lex Luger retains his NWA US Championship. And it's just weird. A lot of these matches, you see basic wrestling moves like a backslide, an inside cradle, a clothesline, which Luger hit multiple clotheslines during this match. But uh, I thought this was a this is a cool one to go back and watch if you want to see an early Undertaker. This actually was just a few months before he debuted as the Undertaker in WWF at the time. And yeah, it was July. This one was in July, so about August, September, October, November, four months, five months later, actually, he debuts as The Undertaker. And, and the rest, you can say, is history. Uh, grade for that match, I'm going to give it a B-. After that, we get Gordon Soley with Sting for an interview from earlier in the day. And then after that, it's Doom, Butch Reed, and Ron Simmons, accompanied by Teddy Long, playa. And they're defending their NWA World Tag Team Championship against the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. It's crazy to think that Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson are still active wrestlers in their 60s. Man, that's impressive. They did win the NWA World Tag Team Championships here not too long ago, probably I think it was last year in the NWA. And you'll see them on NWA when they do return on uh, YouTube, hopefully here sometime in the near future, hopefully when this virus, coronavirus stuff calms down. And Jim Ross, who was on commentary for this, uh, he says that Butch Reed and Ron Simmons were tag team, the first black world tag team champions. And Butch Reed and Ron Simmons here, man, they are jacked. They are jacked. And this match was mostly dominated. The most, like the runtime of this match was dominated by Doom. Doom pretty much controlled this whole entire match. This match went 15 minutes and 40 seconds. They dominated at least 10 minutes or so during this match because Gibson got beat down for a while and then Morton came in and then Morton got beat down for quite a while also. And eventually, Morton finally tags Gibson and Gibson comes out like a house of fire. He messes up a drop kick a little bit. Then Gibson goes for a pin on Reed and then goes for a pin and then Reed interrupts the count. Then all four men are in the ring. Inseguri by Gibson, and he inseguris 
read into Teddy, who was on the apron. Teddy's now in the ring. Gibson clubs Teddy Long. And then Ref tries to break up Simmons and Morton in the corner. Reed then hits a top rope shoulder block on Gibson. And that's enough for them to get the three count and retain their NWA World Tag Team Championship. I thought this was a pretty solid tag match between the teams. The beatdown portion of the match by Doom and Doom lasted over 10 minutes. And it seemed like it dragged the match down a little bit. But still, this is a pretty solid tag team match. I'm going to give it a B- grade. And now, it's time for the main event of the show. And it was Sting looking to capture the NWA World Heavyweight Championship against the six-time champ at the time, Rick Flair, the Nature Boy, and he had Junkyard Dog, El Gigante, Orndorff, Rick Steiner, and Scott Steiner all ringside. Rick Flair had Ole Anderson ringside, but there was a little caveat to that. El Gigante was handcuffed to Ole Anderson, and they had to sit on the ramp. So it was Orndorff, Junkyard Dog, Rick and Scott Steiner all surrounding the ring. So Ric Flair couldn't cheat, and the four horsemen couldn't get involved in this match. And the story coming into this was Sting was out for months with an injury, injury uh, a, a severed uh, patella tendon, and he came back after a couple of months. He was out starting in February, and Sting's out there in the red, white, and blue, and it's his first match since February, and... Nick Patrick is the official. A young Nick Patrick is official. This match is also no DQ. And I really like this match. I really liked it for two reasons. The knee work by Ric Flair during this was great. And that Sting fended off the figure four leg lock so many times. And Flair went to the well one too many times trying to get that figure four leg lock in on Sting that it costed him the match. And Sting, he looked like a beast here. He no-sells at times. The chops he took during this match were some heavy ones. Some very heavy knife-edge chops from Ric Flair during this match. Flair's focus was on the knee of Sting. Sting at one time actually got the figure four leg lock in on Flair. Flair would then get caught in a Sting, not caught in a Sting, but he got caught in a Scorpion death lock late in the match, and the horsemen tried to make their way down to the ring, but you know what? Junkyard, Dog, Orndorff, Rick and Scott Steiner were all there to stop him, but Ric Flair would get to the ropes on the Scorpion Deathlock attempt, and then Flair hits a shoulder to the gut of Sting. Flair tries to use the ropes for a pin. Scott then Scott Steiner knocks his legs off the rope. A schoolboy pin for a near fall by Sting. And then a cover by Flair. Sting bridges up. Goes for the backslide. Flair kicks out at two. Flair chops Sting. Sting no-sells. He went for the knee. Sting then goes for the knee in the corner. He misses. Flair goes for the figure four again. Sting counters into the inside cradle. And Sting wins the title. And that was the third time I'm pretty sure that Ric Flair went for the figure four leg lock. And then the crowd popped. The crowd popped for that win from Sting. And Sting wins the NWA World 
Heavyweight Championship for the first time. And I thought this was the best thing on the show by a narrow margin. By a narrow margin. The tag team match was also very, very good. The interference in the match made sense because those were Flair's cronies. They help him out. They help him win matches. But there was a contingency plan in place to stop them. It was cool to see Sting win his first world championship. And this is what you expect out of a Ric Flair match. A really good wrestling match. And I don't know how Sting no-sold those chops during the match. Because his chest was beaten by the end of the match. The one question coming into the match was, would Sting's knee hold up? It most certainly did, and he was able to win the title. I'm going to give that match a B plus. Soley interviews Sting post-match. He calls Flair the greatest world champion of all time, and Sting, he's going to do his best to live up to what Ric Flair has done, and he thanks the crowd. And that's pretty much it for this show. Uh, really, I thought this was... An alright pay-per-view. It wasn't a great pay-per-view by any means, but not a bad one either. Would definitely check out the Sting Flair match and the Midnight Express Southern Boys match. Both of those matches were definitely the standout matches of the night. I'd also check out the Steiner uh, tag team, the Steiner tag team match against the fabulous Freebirds, and would also check out for historical purposes. The Mark Callis versus Lex Luger match. But still, solid pay-per-view. Not the best, but not the worst. I'm going to give it a B-. And for time purposes, I'm not going to do the where are they now portion of this for this week, but I will return to doing that next week. I promise. I will do where are they now for next week's pay-per-view, well, retro pay-per-view review and I'm going to stick with the Great American Bash theme since NXT is holding their Great American Bash two-week special on the USA Network. I'm going to be reviewing yet another Great American Bash pay-per-view next week. I'll be going back to watch the Great American Bash 2005. Some of the big matches on the show were The Undertaker versus Muhammad Hassan, and that was to determine the number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship at SummerSlam. Also on the card was Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero in a singles match where if Rey lost, Guerrero would have revealed his secret on the live television. And the main event of that show was JBL against Batista for the World Heavyweight Championship. I look forward to giving that to you next Friday here on Sig Daddy's Wrestling Show. But in the meantime, if you want to hear my opinions or read my opinions on the latest going on in professional wrestling, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook at Sig Daddy Wrestle, and for some picture stuff, follow me on Instagram at SigDaddy.com wrestle until next time this is sig daddy signing off thank you again for listening and happy fourth of july everybody